I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. We love to see a child dancing all by itself, lost in the dance and not performing for an audience. And we say, oh, if only I could dance like that. If only I could become like a child again, innocent. But then soon we know when parents notice how beautifully a child dances, and they all approve of it and say to this child, dance for us. The child begins to lose this power. And it puts on airs. It knows it's noticed. And we don't like that. We say, that's affectation. That's showing off. That's phony. What we want you to do is to dance as if you had no audience, not even yourself. Which, of course, puts the child in a double bind. Because it says to the child, we require you to do something that will be acceptable only if you do it as if it wasn't required. (laughs) We do that all the time to our children and to each other. You must love me. After all, you promised to do so to when we got married, didn't you? Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and in today's episode, chatted with Paul Check. I'm sure most of y'all are familiar with his work. Pretty, pretty uh, prolific guy, that guy, Paul. Um, really super interesting conversation. I've been meeting having him on for a long time now, so that was great. Pardon the saws if you hear any kind of stuff happening. I'm out in my good friends deck here in boulder colorado i've been teaching some workshops at the ancestral health symposium been getting to meet all sorts of people listening to the show that's really cool and uh it's just been just been fabulous in today's conversation uh we get into all sorts of potential kind of fringe topics in relation to fitness and exercise and nutrition and go outside of the standard traditional boundaries and get into things like consciousness and spirituality and and the usage of various organic natural compounds and as a means to deepen our practice. The power of your own choice and your own involvement in what's happening in your life and realizing that you're 50% of every relationship you'll ever have. And until you're fully present within yourself and congruent with your own thoughts, words, and deeds, you can never really be any more congruent than that with any other. So for example, if I'm here in a relationship with you right now, I'm responsible for 100% of my 50%. You're responsible for 100% of your 50%. Um, really interesting conversation. Uh, it's interesting. I was thinking as I was as I was studying Paul, um, I was realizing I was like, wow, Paul's it. He's like he's a modern shaman essentially. He's like a tribal doctor of sorts. And then uh, little did I know he's actually a he, he, he's literally a shaman. <laughs> And uh, so we get into all that stuff. Really, really interesting. Uh, Thank you so much for checking out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find the self-care kit, which is a hollow foam roller with screw-on lids. And inside that thing, we store two different size myofascial release balls, 
heavy-duty elastic band with a door anchor. So you can adjust the height of the band, decompress your joints, exercise, do whatever it is you feel like doing with that thing. Enjoy. And per usual, thank you so much for leaving beautiful comments on iTunes. Uh, it's so greatly appreciated. Brightens my day up every time I get to read those little things, and it's just it's just great. It means the world to me that people are really really using this stuff and really you know, spreading it and telling their friends, and it's you know it's it's helping them along. It's helped me along too, so appreciate it. Um, utilize the Amazon portal on the website, por favor, uh, bookmark the portal for the Amazon link on the blog and podcast page. Every time you use Amazon, purchase whatever crap it is that you're getting out there. Um, I get a small percentage of that it goes towards the podcast's production and my life so I can keep on doing these things like traveling to Boulder and teaching events and doing all that stuff. Doesn't pay that well, but incredibly rewarding <laughs> so thanks for helping out <laughs> really quick really quick I would like us to just ponder upon what it is that we are bringing to society what is the gift that we have reached in within ourselves and brought out for the rest of the world to utilize I think that is one of the keys to feeling satisfied with our lives the avoidance of things like depression and aimlessness you know, so the way that we reach in and actually find some treasure to bring out to the world is by doing some freaking work. You know, getting off of Facebook, getting off of Twitter, getting off of just aimlessly staring at the TV, getting high or whatever the heck it is people are doing. Um, and, you know, go climb some trees, go exercise, read some books, uh, do some meditation, whatever it is, as we go through this work, we will be able to assist our community the same degree that we go inside of ourselves. I think we become dependent on socializing, we become dependent on just being comfortable enough if we put ourselves in those situations that are slightly less than ideally comfortable. That's when the real learning starts and that's when we can start collecting some gifts. For the rest of the world, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, I think that might be all we got. Here we go. Back to the show with uh, Mr. Paul. Chicka, chicka, chuck. Align Podcast. What, what is the four quadrant exactly? Can you break down what that is? Uh, yes, the Czech four quadrant model is based on the work of Ken Wilber and, and predecessors that helped him develop the model. But the four quadrants represent the four quadrant that spirit unfolds within to create life itself. So if you take a box and put a cross in it, the upper left-hand quadrant represents the personal interior or the subjective aspects of the human being, which we refer to as the psyche. The lower left quadrant represents the collective interior or the inner life, thoughts, feelings, beliefs, emotions of the collective. The upper right is the personal exterior, so all things that can be objectively assessed or verified, such as heart rate, brain waves, hormone levels, uh, behavior, movement, strength, speed, um, anything that you can objectify with instruments or measuring techniques. The lower right quadrant relates to the collective exterior, which is everything you see in society that relates to some kind of system or tool such as the web, the road system, 
the political system, the infrastructure, sewer systems, um, churches, temples, houses, tools, everything that is considered an it. So the model can be simplified even further in that the I is represented in the upper left personal interior and upper right personal exterior, the we in the lower left collective interior, and the its, the lower right, the collective exterior. So it shows you that um, from a therapist or a coach's perspective, you can't really effectively guide a person if you overlook the influences that come from any one of those quadrants. For example, if you do functional medicine testing, you'll find all sorts of stuff in almost anybody you test, but you're looking at the effects of the mind or the psyche, the emotions that cannot be objectively measured. So they have to be engaged with through a therapist who's healed themselves enough to have room for empathy and compassion and has enough life experience and wisdom to help a person guide or make the transition that they need to be, shall we say, dream affirmative. If you overlook the lower left and you're doing functional medicine or anything like that, for example, then you overlook all the relationship influences from mother to father to brother to sister to uh, tribe to society to culture to coach to therapist. And so there's a huge hole there. And if you only, if you don't look at the lower right quadrant, then for example, you overlook things like ergonomics, biomechanics, um, uh, chemicals, environmental influences, space relationships. Is a person got a space to live comfortably for their cultural needs? You overlook the influence of things like pressures to conform to schedules and imposed by corporations or by uh, military dictatorship or whatever. Um, so the four quadrant model is really the most effective reduction of the four quadrants that we have to engage in to effectively grow spiritually and engage in the world effectively. That's great. I think it's really, I mean, it's amazing. I would say it's courageous that you have kind of pioneered this, this integration of, you know, a, a spiritual side of ourselves and in, in not just the physical. And even as we're talking about that, it's like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, ah, you know, whatever, you know, all that matters is what I can, you know, feel, hear, touch right in front of me. Is it possible that we could maybe define what spiritual means to you? Uh, spiritual, you know, there's two, there's two things that we have to distinguish there. Um, spiritual has no meaning until you understand spirit itself. Hmm. So in essence, spirit means transition. Spirit is that which is moving, but is the unmoved mover. So if you looked at it from a religious perspective, God would be equated with unconditional love. In my model, I equate that with zero because that's the only thing you can ascribe as a symbol to something that's unconditional. You can't use any other symbol because if it has any objective meaning, when, when we say there's only one apple left, we all agree there's one apple left. That's objective. But when we say 
that the universe emerges from a scientific perspective from a zero point field, a black hole reaches of zero point. So current science shows, for example, that all the material universe actually comes out of nothing. And they've done the math now to show that that is very possible. And current science, for example, shows that one thimble, one square centimeter of empty space contains more energy than all the nuclear uh, fuel in the universe that can be calculated. So unconditional love is really uh, the best way I can express it in logical, rational terms that can be uh, tackled by a Western mind in particular, is that zero only has two qualities. It's absolutely empty of anything. And because it has no border, no barrier, no definition, it contains everything. That was really the basis of Lao Tzu's teachings. Lao Tzu taught that there's two Tao's, the Tao that cannot be spoken, which is zero, and the Tao that can be spoken, which is everything that you interact with and see all around you, including your body. So from Lao Tzu's teachings came the Tai Chi symbol, which shows that the yin is the empty, yet it keeps producing yang, and yang, the full, keeps deteriorating into emptiness and becoming yin again, and that is a um, perpetual cycle with no beginning and no end because those are the two, shall we say, manifest qualities of unconditional love or zero. So spirit itself is the eternal physicalized as place. Matter is spirit moving slowly enough that we can see it. My definition of spiritual is taking responsibility for what you create moment to moment and becoming conscious of the power of your own choice and your own involvement in what's happening in your life and realizing that you're 50% of every relationship you'll ever have. And until you're fully present within yourself and congruent with your own thoughts, words, and deeds, you can never really be any more congruent than that with any other. So for example, if I'm here in a relationship with you right now, I'm responsible for 100% of my 50%. You're responsible for 100% of your 50%. But if either one of us has a mind that's wandering about what do I have to do next? This would get over. I don't agree with what he said. I'm not listening to him because I've got a back uh, story in my head. So if that creates, let's say I'm doing that to the degree that only 40% of my 50% is there, or I have a 10% deficit, that's 10% missing in me, and that's 10% that no matter how centered you are, you cannot connect to because it's not here. It creates a 20% deficit. That's a one-fifth. So uh, that may or may not sound like a lot, but if you were to cut away one-fifth of your body, it would be a significant deficit. If you cut away one-fifth of your uh, love and emotion and connection to somebody that you love, it would be... A significant deficit and most people are far more disconnected with themselves than 10% in my estimation. Yeah. So there, that's what spirit is and that's what spiritual means to me. I think anything else is just new age fluff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, uh, working with, with clients here at Align Therapy, um, one of the things that I'll notice with people is certain people will be more in a place to receive change and certain people will be a little bit more closed up. And you could look at it from 
a couple different perspectives or analogies. One would be like the cup has no opening to pour more fluid into. The other one would be the cup has a hole in the bottom. Every time you pour fluid, it just, it just seeps right through. And I think that we get, we're so inundated with exercises, do more squats, do more deadlifts, do more sprints. And we don't necessarily look at the, the, the bigger foundation of, you know, I like to call, you know, the, the question of why. But I think you could also say getting into like more of like a, a spiritual foundation of being able to hold this physical. Is that something that, is there some way, tangible way for people to actually start looking at that within themselves? Or is it kind of you just got to starve yourself and go out in the woods for 10 days? Well, you know, that's a complex question that could require a complex answer. I'll try to give it to you in a way that uh, is not going to take up too much time and be too uh, complex for listeners to follow. You, first and foremost, we have to understand that anyone that's your client or mine is a product of our culture. Our culture and anybody that's uh, coming to see you is a product of scientific materialism unless you're seeing somebody that's very old, like 100 years old. And even then they were in the, in the Industrial Revolution. And scientific materialism is a culture that has programmed people to only deify, worship, or see valuable that which is tangible and measurable. Yeah. So if you use the Christian cross as a symbol by which I can make an explanation, the horizontal beam of the cross represents the past, the present, and the future, where the horizontal and vertical meet is the present or the now. Everything on the left, if you're looking at the cross, everything on your left represents the past and everything moving to the right represents the future, but the future cannot be known until you're there. The future as we know it is largely the past recapitulating itself because the habits of the past are ingrained into people's nervous systems. Hmm. So what you're dealing with when you're working with the change process is predominantly the habits of the past passed on to them from previous generations moving forward and then, shall we say, um, uh, being also encased in the concepts of the, the day at time of discussion or modernity. The, the vertical beam represents the subjective, which includes love, empathy, compassion, and values and meaning. So here's the answer to your question. Scientific materialism and the modern day psychology is geared total, totally to the horizontal beam, which deals with that which is objective and can be measured, such as success in your career, uh, hierarchy in rank, I'm the president of this, I'm the top this or that. Um, how much money do I have? What kind of car do I have? What kind of house do I live in? Where do I live? How exclusive of a club am I in? So those are all the things that uh, our culture has grown to place value and that we worship people for accomplishing. But all around us, we see multimillionaires, movie stars, professional athletes, dot, 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 committing suicide and completely burning out and losing everything because they have completely become emptied and found that no matter how much money, sex, drugs, fame, position or power they have, 
they're still empty inside and they have no place to turn, so they often kill themselves. And that is the product of, shall we say, the corporatizing of religion, where religion itself at large, as you see from evangelists on television, has become really almost a marketing campaign for politics, a marketing campaign for using prayers to God to get more physical gain, more money, more cars, more televisions, more houses, <clears throat> more success. But the actual issues that have come from that is that people are now so busy and so, shall we say, um, hungry for recognition or to have uh, the ability to drive a certain car or live in a certain house or pay for some kind of an elite school for their kids that they've actually completely maxed themselves out. If you look at the rate that information processing is occurring, um, I think Google, uh, I saw an interview with the guy that founded Google. He says we, more, we process more information in one day today than we did in all prior history leading up to this. So you've got uh, human beings that have evolved through nature and lived in harmony with the natural rhythms of nature and really had no reason to overconsume. And many studies looking into the way natives lived showed that the average hunter-gatherer society could meet their needs for hunting and gathering in three to four hours a day. And they spent the rest of the time playing with their children, doing art, singing, dancing, making love, and basically having a good time. Yet our culture calls those people primitive and looks down on them like hairy apes when they were in the business of health. They were in the business of living well. Yet so here we have the same hairy apes working two jobs. 98% of the population is one paycheck away from bankruptcy and way overextended on credit cards. They have kids that don't get to spend time with them that are being run to doctors for all sorts of pills and shots, all of which are usually to medicate the fact that they're lacking love and connection and guidance from parents and safety from parents. We have research in adult attachment and infant attachment disorders showing the number one causative factor of childhood uh, attachment and detachment disorders is parents that do not have a sense of direction in their life. Hmm. No dream, nothing to orient themselves, no values they can share with the kids, hmm. just forever seeking to pay the bills and survive and make the next uh, payment on a car so they look cool and meet the criteria uh, of the facade uh, projected through the media, which is designed to capture people and keep them uh, forever spending money on things they can't afford and don't need. So in summary, then, what I'm saying is the people that you're describing as having their cup full are the people that are full of programming and don't realize they're running on a treadmill that goes nowhere and they're burning themselves out. And at the expense of that, don't have time for themselves, don't have time for their children, don't have time to grow themselves spiritually and usually satiate themselves on media-based sound bites on everything from get uh, 
have perfect sex or a perfect body by drinking this fantastic juice or taking this pill or have energy for five hours at a time by drinking five-hour energy but never pay attention to why that you're burnt out or the fact that this will burn you out worse. So really, uh, that's what led me to the development progressively over many years. You know, I've been doing this for almost 33 years. So um, I reached a point where I found it was interesting and challenging for me that my own students and even many of my instructors at the time were having a very, very hard time synthesizing my teachings into a working model that they could grasp and use effectively. And I found it quite challenging because to me it was obvious what I was saying. And so I spent a lot of time meditating and, and asking for inner guidance from my soul or spirit, if you will. And then that led to the synthesis of the four doctor system and the one, two, three, four approach so that I could say to a person, what is the one thing that you're willing to grow for, change for, right. and become? Yeah. That's what we call your dream. Two, the two forces that create the universe are at play in everything around you, whether you see it or not. And if you're excessively outputting or excessively outreaching, then you're excessively yang, which relates to fire, which leads to self-destruction. So the second, of course, being what is out of balance in your life that's limiting your ability to efficiently create the life you state that you want to live. Three, there's only three choices you can make in relationship to any person, place, or thing. The optimal, which is the best one for everybody involved and gets you to your dream most efficiently, the suboptimal, which almost always gives instant gratification but leads to pain in relationships, which is how consciousness becomes aware of itself. And the third option is to do nothing, which has a positive and a negative. The negative is to be apathetic or to not care, which is the opposite of love. Hate is not the opposite love of love because to hate somebody, you keep them inside you all day long. To be apathetic and to not care has been shown through research to be the most destructive force on children. Children that get beaten and treated, uh, sexually abused and physically abused fare better than those that are just simply um, ignored. Yeah. Um, so the, the, then you, once you know where you're out of balance, then you have choices to make and to accomplish your uh, objectives and manage yourself in the world, you have to have awareness of what is happy making for me and Am I willing to do it? Your yes has no value until you learn to say no. So without values, you have no way to say no to anything. You just kind of do everything everybody else is doing and live a sheep herd mentality. Um, so Dr. Happiness is the overarching statement of what's important enough to me to manage. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, uh, so Dr. Movement says, where do I need more movement of body, emotion, mind, or where do I need less to balance myself so that I'm congruent with my dream and I have the energy to live my dream and create it? Um, Dr. Diet says, how much food do I need to eat in what quality and in what ratios 
for my unique individual needs, not what some diet expert says or magazine says, all of which is really a cop out and participating in your own life and implies <laughs> another Bible or daddy in the sky. So then Dr. Quiet says, how much rest do I need in order to recharge myself and harmonize myself and allow my psyche to integrate itself so that I can go into each day with enough energy to fully participate instead of having to constantly medicate. Yeah. Uh, so that encapsulation of my teachings is applicable to any profession, any individual whatsoever that's a human being, because without a dream, you're a compass with no north, no 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 north pole, no north star. So you're a GPS without any information in it. You're uh, lost, as the old saying goes, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Right. And so um, that really is sort of a, a synthetic, uh, meaning not synthetic, but synthesis of many, many years of me uh, studying and working with countless numbers of patients and consulting elite athletes and professional organizations and teams and Olympic committees and corporations all over the world and, and looking what are the real challenges people are facing and why is it that they're having such a hard time changing? Yeah. And what I found is that people inherently won't invest the time, energy or resources into a change process until they can clearly and logically see how it's going to create what they want in their life until it nourishes them emotionally until and until they have a clear path or sense of direction from the coach therapist or physician the paradox is is you can't create a sense of uh, logical explanation nor help the person satiate their emotions or create a clear path for anyone beyond what you can do for yourself and we have a problem in the world that the grand majority of caregivers are actually um, in many instances avoiding their own healing in order to create a sense of value for themselves by what they can do for other people or how they can fix other people, which is really a form of object control. And then you have challenges in religious philosophy, such as Christianity, where you have the, the case of giving everything away, Jesus had no money, he did everything for everybody else, which leads to the over-loving mother syndrome, breast cancer, and all the pathologies that goes with that concept. But people forget that to over-love anybody is, is not to love them. And to under-love them is, is to be confused as well. And you can't distinguish where that is until you've given that to yourself, because until it's uh, shall we say, part of the fabric of your being, you're really just putting another idea on the lens of a person whose uh, development can't really look into the meaning of what's painted on their glasses, which would mean people go to seminar after seminar and sit with the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh and everybody else, but at large, because they're really making the mistake of thinking that because they can say the words that they've made the changes, they don't realize that the words really are um, paper boats until one's actually living congruent with those teachings 
And when you have a culture that's so um, underdeveloped in its ego structure, there's very few people that are brave enough to do that kind of thing because immediately you become so different than everybody around you if you're not capable of loving yourself and being your own best friend then the prospect of spiritual growth is very very scary because you uh, have to deal with the fact that people think you're weird or uh, that you're fanatical or whatever label they stick on you so uh, the path to real healing is one that takes shall we say um, deep conviction and deep willingness to take responsibility for loving yourself and taking the effort to find people who are in harmony with you so that you have <clears throat> shall we say a <clears throat> a family that is congruent with your values hmm. yeah there's uh a wave, a river wave near my house, just a few blocks away, I ride it like every day. It's incredible. And one of the things that happens with it is as you go over the rapids, you either get pulled over the next waterfall, which is a horrible experience, or you get pulled out to the side and you swim out and you get this channel that pulls you right back up. And sometimes when people get out into that wave and they get out in the rapids there, they'll freak out because they feel like they're getting pulled back into the rapids and then down to the waterfall. And they're trying so hard to get back to the beach and, and just wearing themselves out. And you look at the brain, I read recently that our, our, our uh, receptor for, you know, part of our brain that responds to anxiety and excitement, it's the same part. It's just our perception that changes. And there's probably a lot more to that than that, but as a metaphor, you know, but it is that programming that we have of our perception of these things and a perception of every moment that starts to, that's really what changes us. It's really what, what, what builds this system is changing our overall perception of who we are and what we can become and how we conduct ourselves in our lives. But that's bigger than squats. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I say all the time, it doesn't matter if you can squat 800 pounds or bench press 700 pounds if you can't get along with your wife and kids and hold a job. <laughs> right. You know, it's a, you know, when you see that sort of over-focus on physical strength, it's really uh, an extension of an emotional armoring process that is the natural byproduct of being raised in a family where a father was uh, a dictator who imposed law on you or rule on you or physical abuse on you. And therefore, your archetype as a male is that all males are going to be at war with you and you need to be tough or you're never going to make it in the world. Yeah. And females, it does the same thing. Uh, you know, you look at how many women are also uh, very heavily involved in this. And, and uh, the pro of that is that women are rising up in their use of strength and conditioning. And that research has shown that in women, weightlifting has the single greatest effect of increasing a woman's sense of autonomy. And in a male-dominated patriarchal world, women becoming uh, stronger in their sense of autonomy, I think, is absolutely important. But there's a, a tipping point where um, what is therapeutic with, with weightlifting actually just becomes another symptom of uh, masculinization, like you see in the males who are more concerned about how big their bench press is and how big their dick is than they are whether their heart is connected to their head at all yeah yeah and then so we can start to to develop 
a greater degree of armoring around ourselves. And that's something that I'm very familiar with from like growing up insecure, weird family stuff, got into bodybuilding, got into just layering muscle on top, really putting on this facade of I can kick your ass. Just so you know, I can kick your ass. (laughs) Even though I didn't know how to fight because I was just big blocks of muscle. I had no actual movement patterning. But I think that's something we do. It's like when in doubt, you know, pull it out or, or add more muscle. You know, it's like just keep on packing. Yeah, you know, and I think it's easy to to um, be misunderstood. For example, many people think I'm criticizing bodybuilding or weightlifting or any of that stuff. But what I'm what I'm doing is I'm I'm actually pointing out that that is a symptom of unresolved pain and fear. Yeah. And the reality of it is no amount of muscle in the world will address those fears. Yeah. You end up just being even um, more distracted because the time you could spend yeah. with a legitimate healer or teacher or studying the material that would help you heal is spent in the gym um, sweating uh, on a gym floor and moving iron around as opposed to working with your soul and engaging in the spiritual quest, which is why I tell people – there, it doesn't matter what you do in a physical gym if you're not doing as much in a spiritual gym and relationships and our relationship to the world is the spiritual gym, but it's quite empty comparatively. My, my sense is that we're always leading towards equilibrium at like a biological level. And I think at, and from this quadrant perspective as well, and maybe it's not the end of the world if you do keep on layering, packing on muscle and just banging your head against the wall, because maybe that's exactly what you need in order to get to the point of truly letting it go. You know, sometimes hearing a podcast and saying, you know, I really need to get into this other aspect of myself. You know, it's like, well, you're not, you haven't really discovered the why it matters yet. You know, is that? Yeah, there's there's always there's always, uh, there's always um, a tipping point where what is therapeutic becomes uh, binding. Yeah. And um, you know, I think part of the reason is is that people don't understand what consciousness is, and you know. I'll quote one of two definitions of consciousness so we don't get too sidetracked in deep metaphysics, but um, Edward Edinger, who was a a famous psychiatrist and Jungian analyst and wrote probably 20 or 30 books and and, and is a genius in his own right and actually makes Jung's teachings even more understandable than Jung in many ways, uh, wrote in a book that he wrote on consciousness. He, He defined consciousness as a psychic substance that occurs, I got to remember his exact quote, consciousness is a psychic substance created not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. Consciousness is a psychic substance created not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. So what he is saying is that Until a person becomes fully aware of the negative aspects of their life and doesn't just seek constant gratification, numbing, or avoidance of pain, they are avoiding the reality of the living awareness of the opposites that make the entire universe move and are the very fabric of creation itself, and that consciousness cannot become conscious of without a field of polarity 
the soul represents the field of action in which the individual or ego mind operates and the mind cannot operate without the distinct polarity of fast, slow, up, down, good, bad, beautiful, ugly, more, less, etc. So as it relates to your point, if a person does not put enough attention into how much pain they're creating by either avoiding the transition from just lifting weights into something that touches the heart or helps them heal, or they're not looking carefully at their motive <clears throat> for armoring <clears throat> strength and power and, uh, you know, showboating uh, to protect themselves, yeah. then they actually don't remain conscious. And, uh, you know, the statistics on the number of people that die in the very same state they were in their teens psychologically is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think the gym represents the first level of conscious awareness where we learn to overcome resistance that um, is safe because the dumbbell or the barbell never tells you that you need to do more or less. It never criticizes you. It simply is. It's a state of, of shall we say, passive engagement. Mm. Whenever you engage in spiritual growth and development, then you have to um, come face to face with deciding whether or not there's a trend to other people's opinions suggesting that maybe uh, parts of yourself that you're unconscious of are actually manifesting in real challenges in your relationship and uh, potentially clouding your perception of reality to the degree that you need to continue to medicate yourself instead of realizing that you're the one creating those dragons. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's our capacity for adaptation that kind of ends up shooting us in the foot, you know, and we're, we're, we're built in a system, we're raised in a system that advocates throwing on huge muscles, getting the car, you know, getting the picket fence and all this stuff. And that, that's our main means of education, you know, and you're talking about Jung and, and archetypes and such. And one of the things that he mentions in relation to that is, is uh, I believe he calls it psychic death, which is essentially, Timothy Lear calls it like no game, leaving the game, you know, and get, being able to step outside of that, what you think, what, you're programming, essentially. You know, but it's like, it's, it's easier said than done. And then there's a lot of people, there's, there comes with a lot of judgment around people that are really wrapped up and consumed in that game, they end up pulling the people that maybe want to escape. It's like crabs in a bucket. You know, is that something that you, was there a transition point for you that where things were really hard and really, you know, did you have some kind of like psychic death time frame in your life? I've had several of them. Are you able to edit this podcast at all? Yeah, I can. Okay, because yeah. I got to go pee so bad I'm about to pop. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> right back come cool, man <laughs> thank you no no worries man no problem at all um yes uh i won't even be real able to remember them all but i would i'll give you a quick rundown of some of those psychic deaths well the first one was when my father drowned and i was eight years old Whoa. and i um, couldn't figure out why my mother and stepfather, she'd already remarried, were, were keeping the 
details from us. Um, I felt like something was not right and it resulted in me looking ceaselessly for my father because I, for some reason, did not believe they were telling me the truth because he was in California. We were living in Idaho at the time and um, it left a, a hole in me so big that a river of tears were flowing through it. Yeah. And um, the next one was going to Sunday school when my mother was a Christian scientist. And even as a child, I found it very, very confusing and odd that they would be telling us in one sentence that God is love, but the next minute we were singing onward Christian soldiers marching off to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. And as a child, I, I, I was already had enough sense of logic to say there is something really wrong happening. Uh, and then that came to sort of an interesting culmination because Christian scientists don't believe in the use of the medical system. And I had broken my wrist doing evil Knievel stunts on, on my bicycle, but I was a star baseball player at that age. I was a kind of a home run hitter and a, and a really good pitcher. And I couldn't play because I had a broken wrist, but my parents refused to take me to the hospital. And um, so when I couldn't play baseball for a few games, my, my coach asked my dad if, if he would just bring me to the game to be sitting on the bench with the team. And when he saw my wrist, like two weeks later, he said, my God, Paul, you've got a broken wrist. And he and he, my parents weren't there, but he said, at risk of your parents getting upset, I'm going to take you to the hospital. And sure enough, they x-rayed me and I had to be put on a cast. And so um, the the sort of the pain and the confusion that came from all this religious, uh, shall we say, uh, paradox of opposites not making sense to a child made me uh, start losing faith in adults because I had already figured this out and thought, why are people so confused about this? It's obvious that whoever wrote this book doesn't understand what's going on. Hmm. Um, then my mother, by the grace of God, uh, found the Self-Realization Fellowship and the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and joined the fellowship. And then we began going to the temple which we had to drive quite a long ways to on Sundays. We had to go all the way to Vancouver from where we lived in Courtney, BC, which was like an hour and a half drive, plus a big 35 mile ferry ride, two hours on the ferry, hour and a half, two hours on the ferry each way. But the experience that I had being exposed to Yogananda's teachings blew my mind. I learned to meditate as a child. I, I could ask any question I wanted of the monks. They never avoided me. Anytime I brought things up in a Sunday school or a church, I just got shut down or treated like I was a dumb kid. Um, but I'll never forget the first time I attended uh, a Sunday ceremony there, and I heard the way they began their prayer. It, it almost moved me to, to tears as a 12-year-old. As a they started the prayer by saying, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, Sri Yukteswar, Lahira Mahashai, Babaji, Krishna, Paramahansa Yogananda, all saints and sages of all religions, 
we humbly bow to you all. And I, I just like had an emotional explosion. I said, aha, now I'm with people that make me feel safe. Uh, my next psychic death, you know, my son was born when I just turned 18 and, uh, he's 36 now. And, um, uh, I was married to his mother for 17 years. And by about the eighth year, I just felt like I was dying in the relationship and we had, uh, values, conflicts and, um, I could see that my son was actually learning to uh, argue and fight because he saw his parents arguing and fighting more than he saw them loving each other. So I made the painful decision to initiate a divorce. And um, it was very, very much a psychic death because I really did love this woman, but I had a hard time. moving with her because it seemed like everything that she wanted that was important to her wasn't important to me. And in retrospect, a lot of her pain was because I was so focused on, on surviving and making money and making something of myself that I wasn't spending enough time with my son, which was upsetting her, which is a side effect of having a child at 18 years old and fam- and both of our families being broke and not being able to support us. It's do or die kind of thing. And I had too much pride to live on welfare. So I got so, shall we say, engrossed in achieving a level of uh, professional success that it could provide us with the financial support that we needed to live the life that I choose to live. But I, I really loved her and I loved I love my son and the pain of that separation. I I wanted to leave her much earlier, but I wanted to wait till my son was old enough to be able to understand it. So by the time he was 14, I hoped that he could understand it, but it broke him. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it was a very painful thing for him. And and in many ways he's still healing from it. We both are, all of us are. So that was a psychic death. And then, um, joining the 82nd Airborne Division and thinking that I was actually uh, contributing to a just cause, but then learning about the United States government's um, ulterior motives and using military force and taxpayers' money to really just rape and pillage the world for their own benefits and for their own capital gain uh, broke my heart and led me to not staying in the military. But the good news is, is that's where I became the trainer of the United States Army boxing team, which inspired me to realize that was my career was using my um, natural intelligence and observational skills to help people uh, develop better awareness of health through exercise, diet, lifestyle, and all the things that I saw were necessary to be a successful athlete myself and had to study. Um, But there's been many, many more along the way. Uh, My point would just be that there's been many psychic deaths and where they used to be very, very painful. Now I've come to the point where I've learned that every one of them is very much like a divorce in that I woke up with the woman of my dreams who I've now been married to for 20 years and realized I could have never got to her if I hadn't have let go of what wasn't working and followed my heart. And so each psychic death used to feel like I was getting my skin torn off, but now great spirit has taught me to, to 
not forget that the trend is, is with each psychic death comes a beginning of greater beauty and greater meaning, greater um, uh, value at the heart level than what I thought I had before. And that's the vertical beam of the cross in our previous analogy. So I've learned to kind of get past the horizontal and integrate the vertical elements of myself. And so, um, and you know, I'm a licensed shaman. I have a federal license as a shaman and I've done, you know, a very significant number of very deep shamanic journeys on very, very powerful medicines and have had my ego completely annihilated and had to come face to face with everything that I didn't know was hiding at any time. So there's, you know, been many psychic deaths through those experiences. And, uh, you know, some of them have been very close to actual death, uh, where I was very close to being completely gone and not ever coming back. But I think spirit wanted me to fulfill my legacy. So uh, here I am. But they, they help illuminate uh, a tremendous amount of the pain. The, my, my brother committed suicide when he was 34, and that was extremely painful. Um, there's been, a, you know, other deaths in the family. My sister's son drowned in the swimming pool. And so there's, you know, without, you know, giving you a laundry list, I would say that I'm very, very, uh, shall we say, experienced at the psychic death. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that um, you mentioned in, in the relation to our, our shadow selves, you know, and, and getting into those those aspects of our personality that our ego maybe doesn't doesn't approve of, doesn't prefer. It's like, oh, that's not a part of me. You know, and I think a lot of that that childhood stuff or just traumatic aspects of our life in general, it's easier sometimes to repress it and pretend it's it's just not even a thing, as opposed to really greeting it and loving it. And you know, you could use the metaphor of like shining light on it. Is do you feel like in yourself? Do you witness struggles that you're still working with? Maybe like those de- the defensive archetype, you know? Yeah, there's always some of that there. Um, you know, I think I would make a distinction for you that whatever's in the unconscious cannot be dealt with directly because by definition it is unconscious. So uh, I only say that because if you're aware of it, it's not in the unconscious. If you're suppressing it, you have to know what it is or you can't suppress it. Therefore, it's denial, which is actually um, something that leads to armoring and uh, pathological retention. And whatever we uh, repress becomes compressed and it begins to infuse its energy of like kind into the tissues of the body and then manifests itself in in, uh, morphologic changes that are called diseases. so part of the reason that I did a year of training to become a shaman and, and master the use of psychedelic medicines was so I could bring the unconscious up to where I could see it. But the things that you're talking about are really the person's um, ability or inability to listen to feedback from other people. And instead of denying it and making everybody else wrong, looking to see if there's a pattern it's very important that we don't just believe everybody's criticism at face value because quite often people with less education and less self-development criticize those that are reaching out to help them or that are good examples for them because of their own fears and insecurities. 
And if a person's not careful and they believe that, they can actually bring themselves further down into pain. So the key thing I've observed is looking at patterns. So like when I'm coaching somebody, I ask them to look at the most common reasons used by past lovers or uh, employers or friends to disengage from relationships and then they typically see a pattern such as I'm too distant, Hmm. I'm not emotionally connected, I'm unreliable, dot, dot, dot. There you're bringing things up into the conscious that are actually all around you all the time, but it's just whether or not you're um, either willing to, brave enough to, or have the support to look at those things because almost all those things are actually expressions of coping mechanisms that we developed to try to survive in our own family milieu or they're the behaviors that were imprinted on us as children. And as the old saying goes, someone says, why is it that when I'm with my parents, they can push my button so easily? Answer, because they installed them. Right. So, uh, and, and there's an example right there. When someone can push your buttons, they've done you a big favor because if you've healed the issue at hand, it doesn't wind you up. You just see that you're speaking to a child and you treat them that way. But if they piss you off, it means they've done you a favor because they've shown you where you're holding on to um, either repressed or uh, charged energy that is contorting uh, your vision of reality and your perception is therefore mirrored in that distortion. Is there anything in particular if there, I mean, this is always like the, this is the golden question that's, that's usually pretty unanswerable, but something that you specifically could say you've drawn out from uh, potent psychedelic experiences in relation to kind of shedding some light upon, upon the shadow for still in metaphor land. Yeah, I would say, but I would preface that by saying that I have gone as deep without any drugs. I spent times, I went to an entire summer with monks learning to meditate. Um, I've spent years and years in practice of Tai Chi. I went to see one of the grand masters of Tai Chi early on to investigate it and learn from a master and spent time doing gongs under his direction. So I've I've actually made it right into no mind or Satori uh, multiple times, or Samadhi, if you would like, uh, with natural substances. So I, I would say that the the difference between psychedelics is and, and the natural practices is the natural practices take quite a lot of commitment yeah. practice because they are arts. It's just like painting. Not everybody's good at it, and the more you practice, the better you get at it. And so each of the psychedelics is different in that it carries a form of consciousness. A mushroom's consciousness is different than the consciousness of a cactus, or is different than the consciousness of a flower or marijuana, is different than the consciousness contained in 5-MeO-DMT, and is yet different than ayahuasca. So when you engage with the medicine spiritually, you call forth the, the consciousness of that plant spirit. And each one of them has unique ways of engaging the psyche and opening you up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for example, you you they're not 
uh, interchangeable medicines. You can't say they're a shotgun, that they all do the same thing. And so in the first year of training, I did about 40 uh, journeys, deep journeys, on a wide variety of medicines with a man with 35 years of experience using medicines to help people heal. And so I learned the, the ropes, so to speak, and the, the uh, got developed a relationship with each of the different medicines. And so I think the difference is, is that in the hands of a shaman, or in my case, I often give myself, you know, very high doses because through the natural techniques, the ego can put the brakes on because it's fear is the limiting factor in getting deeper so to quote Terence Kent McKenna, you can spend seven years meditating in a monastery or you can take one hit of DMT, it's up to you. <laughs> the point though, that the medicines will disable the ego. They make it so porous that everything in the unconscious comes roaring up to the surface. And there you have to have spiritual courage to deal with it because the amount of it and the strength of it and the vividness of it can be annihilating to the ego. It can literally destroy the ego. And I've had, I get regular calls from people from all over the world that have made a mess of themselves going off to junior shaman and into the jungles and uh, getting stuff off the internet. In fact, I've known three people to kill themselves getting DMT off the internet and just completely blowing their soul right out of their body and never being able to come back. So I'm very familiar with these things. So the, the difference is, is that the use of shamanic medicines opens you to Pandora's box and you've got to be brave enough to face what's in there. The use of natural practices allows the ego to keep its foot on the brake all the time. Right. And the reason so many people don't go into samadhi states after years of practice is because to do that, you have to come face to face with everything that the ego thought was real and for sure and isn't, and the ego has to be ready for annihilation, whether it's through natural practices or shamanic practices. Mm. And most people are um, too undeveloped to really um, come face to face with God. Carl Jung said, all religious systems are designed to protect you from the direct experience of God. Yeah. You get the right dose of a shamanic medicine, there's no protection. Period. End of story. Yeah, Watts. Watts called it the essentially like scaffolding of your your structure, you know. And so as we have these, we're still confined within the boundaries of, you know, these these practices that we've that we've learned. It's not until you let go of that and let go of the scaffolding that you're really able to to come into your the truest highest expression of yourself. I think, yeah. you know, and that that all comes back to the the same river analogy, you know, where you're like. The ego, obviously, is the beach, and you're struggling so much to get back to the beach. But if you're able, it's just that's the, that's the biggest thing is, is the, the willingness to go with the flow. And I think that that's like we don't really get educated around that. I think because our teachers don't understand it. <laughs> you know? Um, we don't. And, uh, you know, the, like I said, to loop back again, the countless number of people that have had enlightenment experiences on psychedelics yet return within two weeks to being the same confused individual they were is evidence of the fact that it doesn't matter how much God you see, 
until you're brave enough to embody what you've learned and deal with the social criticism and walk the path of Jesus who is crucified for telling the truth. And what people don't often realize is Jesus was by no means the first to be crucified. You can look at the book, The World's 16 Crucified Saviors by Kersey Graves, and he shows four of them are on record from Rising from the Dead. But we've created a, shall we say, a popular marketable story out of Jesus. And the reality of it is, if Jesus was to come to the planet today, he would be killed again by the very same people for the very same reasons. And the cross that one has to bear to actually exemplify enlightenment is significant. And people in society whose egos are their governing factor do not like having to admit that they're not living uh, as well as they could or loving as well as they could or don't like being told that their wealth and fame don't add up to much. So the paradox of enlightenment is when it's lived, you have to be ready to die again. Hmm. Yeah. That's the real walk of fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got to We got to go here. I know. So uh, just, yeah. Um, do you have to go like right now? Hard. Get the heck out uh, of here immediately. It's okay uh, to say yes. I can do a couple of minutes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, just the one, one thing that's come to my mind is, as you're, as you're talking is I have this curiosity around, you know, light and light being able to consume darkness, you know, and it's, it's this, I feel like when we're at an individual level, shining our light, you know, vibrating maybe a little bit higher than society around us, it's really easy to get squashed out because of that judgment, because of all those other paradigms that we're kind of forming, we're formed inside of. But I, I feel like if we can bring all of those, those lights or those, you know, the, the, the vibrant frequencies of individuals, if we can bring that together, then we have, we start to really have a fire. You know, and it's, it's, I think it's really important that we connect at, at a tribal level and not just be isolated by ourselves, you know, in our living room, you know, smoking DMT or whatever. Like, go out, connect with other people, bring what we're getting from, un, you know, letting down the veil and bring that into the world. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a battle. <laughs> that's really how religion began. You know, Jesus was a Gnostic. The Gnostics were groups of people that got together and shared their experiences. So if one person developed a a technique of meditation or worship that got him or her further into themselves or more in touch with God, if you will, then they couldn't wait to share it with other people so they could try it. And then they just kept sharing. But once religion went into, uh, shall we say, a standardized or corporatized format, then you begin to see the problems, and this is exactly what Rumi says, no man can get to God until he becomes a heretic. That's exactly what he's saying. You, you have to realize that God can never be found in a book or in things written on paper. Yeah. And, you know, Jung says intellectualism is a common symptom of fear of direct experience. And so what do you have? All these preachers yakking away, yet, you know, getting caught being very opposite of what they're projecting in public, whether it be sex with kids or same sex, which I don't have any problem with being gay. It's just the masquerade of of being something in public that you're not in private. So uh, what I'm stating is all this addiction to words that aren't working is actually the fear of the direct experience of making the journey we've been talking about for an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. 
I'd love to talk again, man. We we got to go. Uh, but how do how do people learn more about uh, what you're doing? Website, books, any of that? Uh, well, there's a few. Um, my institute, C H E K Institute dot com, is where you can see all my education, my courses, my audios, my videos, my uh, you know DVD courses, correspondence courses, and that's where my holistic lifestyle coach level one, which is a public access course that. Uh, basically teaches people how to use the book, how to eat, move, and be healthy, and more through practically guided steps uh, online is available. And then um, my new workshop, which goes very deep into all this stuff, that's what it's about, the Check 4 Quadrant Mastery, Coaching Mastery Program. Uh, it's a four-day workshop coming up in San Diego, September 15th through 18th. And, it, and if you join the workshop, you get the online course for free, which is about two times the material that is presented in the four-day course. So that's right on the homepage in one of the banners at checkinstitute.com. People that are interested in um, my my personal approaches and what I share with the world on a, on a more regular basis could go to Paul Check's blog, P-A-U-L-C-H-E-K-S blog.com no apostrophe uh, between, you know, no, no possessiveness in the name, just a blog. C-H-E-K-S blog, paulchecksblog.com. My YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash paulcheklive, all stuck together, and I have over 500 videos for public access on there. Um, so there's other websites, but I think that you could, you could get to the other websites through checkinstitute.com. You can find a Czech practitioner or a holistic lifestyle coach near you by going to checkinstitute.com. So people that are wanting to find somebody that's trained with me, and it does take seven years to complete my training. This is by no means an overnight personal trainer, uh, 75 multiple qu uh, choice questions to pass and get trained. It's four years in corrective exercise, a year and a half if you're on schedule in holistic lifestyle coaching and a year and a half in PPS success mastery coaching, which is all the stuff that we were just talking about. Awesome. Yeah. It's, um, as I was, I was reading and lis listening to things that you've done in the past, it was the first thing that came to my mind is like, Oh, he's, he's a modern shaman. I didn't realize they actually had any training with, with shamanism. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a federal license. It's sitting right over there on, on the wall. That's cool. Awesome. It, so I've done a lot of very deep training, and, and I use uh, shamanic healing and Native American healing practices every day in my work. So they're part of my fabric. Radical, man. Awesome. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing you down Southern California at some point. If you ever make it up the Northwest, ring me up. And uh, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car 
And it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.